Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Last First Date Radio. I am Sandy Weiner, and I am the founder and chief love officer and dating coach at LastFirstDate.com. I am the dating and relationship coach for women over 40 who want to attract and sustain a lasting, loving, healthy relationship. We have a great show coming up for you today. I'm going to be speaking with psychotherapist, author, and trainer Ross Rosenberg about how to stop loving the people who hurt us. Very important topic and very relevant to many of the people who are listening As a dating coach, it is my mission to help women over 40 recognize the qualities of a good man and learn the relationship skills to make love last. Most women who come to me for support are wonderful mothers. They're very successful in the workforce, but they have challenges in the romantic department. They often make a few mistakes that I see over and over again that are related to people who grew up in the 60s. Women who grew up in the 60s and have earned their equality and success in their career through a lot of hard work and aggression, they often bring that same aggression and competitive edge to dating. And this can be a total turnoff to the men that they are attracted to because those men are looking for a woman who has a big heart, is generous, has grace, has a gratitude practice, Um, not somebody who's going to prove themselves in their career. Even though they may be attracted to what you do and who you are, they will not be attracted to you because you're competitive um, or because you're crazy busy. So what I have done is I have compiled a free guide that lists the, the common mistakes that women and men make in dating in midlife that can sabotage your dating success. It's really hard to see the mistakes you make because you're too close to it. And so I want you to find a lasting, loving relationship. And I'd love for you to download your own free copy of the free guide. So if you'd like a copy, all you have to do is go to lastfirstdate.com and sign up on my homepage. I want to help you go on your last first date. Today's show is sponsored by audible.com. They're a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. You can listen to their audiobooks whenever and wherever you like. Get your free book when you sign up for a free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com forward slash lastfirstdate. That's audibletrial.com forward slash lastfirstdate. And now I'd like to introduce you to our guest, Ross Rosenberg. He is an expert in the field of trauma codependency and sex, love and internet addictions, for which he provides comprehensive psychotherapy, training, and consultation services. He's the owner of the Clinical Care Consultants Counseling Center and the co-owner of Advanced Clinical Trainers. He's a leading national trainer on emotional manipulators and codependence, understanding the attraction. He had a breakthrough best-selling book, The Human Magnet Syndrome, Why We Love People Who Hurt Us. And that book draws on his 26 years of experience in the mental health, social service, and or child welfare fields. He's currently writing a follow-up book called Reversing the Human Magnet Syndrome, Breaking Free from Codependency, 
which will help codependents who are perpetually stuck in dysfunctional relationships. His work has also been highlighted on various TV programs, including ABC Late Night, Fox News, WGN News, and UT San Diego News. He's appeared regularly in the Chicago Tribune and Publisher Weekly and is a regular contributor to the Huffington Post and PsychCentral.com. Well, welcome to the show, Ross. Well, thank you, Sandy, for having me on. I'm very honored. My pleasure. Um, Thank you for being on. And I'm looking forward to this topic because it is so resonant for so many people. And and like I've told you offline, um, most of the letters that I get per week are about people who are attracted to narcissists and people who are who are just destroying their lives. They recognize it, but they don't know how to get out. And so that's one of the reasons I reached out to you, because this is such a great topic and it's so important. Yeah, actually, um, what I'm learning is that it was it was important for me to figure out in my own life. And once I figured that out and was able to translate that into my work with clients and then get it out to the public uh, through either my YouTube videos or my book, I realized that this is a universal phenomenon. And I've never been more grateful that um, I've come up with um, with um, with theories and explanations to help so many people. Well, that's great. And I love that you're... You call yourself a recovering uh, codependent. Is that is that how you would put it? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I've, I learned a long time ago through friends and therapists that uh, you know that you know as much as I can want to diagnose or blame others for hurting me, um, for me to realize that that uh, or come to the the explanation of why I keep getting into relationships with harmful people, I had to look at myself. And mm-hmm. it was a wonderful, talented therapist who told me that. Um, my problem, and he simplified it. He said, the problem is that you're falling in love with the same person in a different face. And then he would follow up, and he said, the pro- and the only way that we're going to solve this is we have to figure out what is wrong with your picker. And, and that he would like, and he would move his index finger because you keep choosing these beautiful, wonderful women that end up keep hurting you. And that mm-hmm. is when, for the first time, and, and this is a um, uh, 12 years ago, I realized that if, if there's going to be a solution to my what I thought was bad luck with narcissists, it's not going to be being more careful in, the, in choosing prospective partners, but it's to look at myself and figure out what's wrong with me that keeps me perpetually attracted to the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And that and that was the beginning of my codependency recovery, according to how I conceptualize codependency recovery. Well, it's great that you are brave enough to share your story and uh, vulnerable enough to share it because a lot of people don't. Um, And I think it makes you much more accessible and believable and have more credibility because you've been through the process yourself. Well, and I appreciate that. And and, um, case in point, um, I never shared openly that I was married, or um, excuse me, divorced twice. Because I, I was, I carried a lot of shame about my my second divorce. I married uh, for a third time and had been with my wife uh, for over ten years and, and found my soulmate. But I, that shame was kept so personally. But it wasn't until I started writing the book that I started to tell people my story. Because if I'm going to tell people about the human magnet syndrome, I um, it doesn't matter how smart I am or how well I write. If they can't realize that. 
um, it can happen to anyone, um, then how am I going to reach them? So I told my story, which was kind of funny because so many of my friends <laughs> didn't know I was divorced twice. So really? they go, why are you telling me now? I go, well, I figured <laughs> I'm going to write it in a book. You're going to find out one way or the other. So yeah, um, I think yeah, my story is well, important. I think your story is important, and I think that you also sharing that that you had shame around your second divorce is a very common thing, and I've seen it in the men that I've met who have been married multiple times. Um, a lot of them carry shame, and a lot of the women too. I I, I interviewed a woman who calls herself a multiple marrier. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever spoke to her, Pat. Uh, I'm trying to remember her last name. She was on my radio show. Um, she spoke about, I think she had four or five marriages, and she did a whole study on people who m- marry multiple times, and they all had common threads. Um, mm-hmm. She she remembered her first relationship when, in kindergarten, like holding hands with a boy in kindergarten. She was always attached to men. And for her, I think a lot of it had to do with losing her mother at an early age, and she became very dependent on men for her self-esteem and her and her sense of self. So is, and, that, is and, that a common theme in codependency? Um, yes, yes. But I, I'm going to take that one step, one step deeper, is that um, um, we as children develop um, what I call a relationship template. And the way that our parents loved us and the way that we loved or or not loved us, or cared for us and not cared for us, the way that we connected to them forms what I call a relationship template, which is the very basis of your adult relationships. So if you were born to a parent who was a narcissist and you learned that the only time you got love or attention is if somehow you made them feel happy, proud, or glad because of something you would do, and you always held back um, in fear of um, upsetting them, you learned that love came to you when you did something for someone else. And that is the relationship template that is set forth um, um, into adulthood. So codependency at its very core is caused um, in childhood through a form of a a trauma. Uh, We call it attachment trauma, not believing that you're worthy of love unless somehow you take care of other people. And then we fast forward that into adulthood what we have is an adult who has basic insecurity, not feeling loving, not feeling worthy of love because they never, they, they, they were not taught that they're, they're lovable for who they are. And that creates shame, that creates loneliness, that creates low self-esteem, and that's um, part and parcel to the codependency experience. Hmm. Thank you for explaining it that way. Um, and, you know, I've done a lot of studying on... Um, on how we form our patterns for our relationships from childhood. And and I've learned from the Imago therapy and and just how we are trying to repair also the relationship that didn't work for us in in childhood. So if we had, like you describe, a a cold parent or a narcissistic parent and we choose we choose our mate in order to fix that relationship or somehow heal it until we heal it within ourselves. And correct me if I'm wrong about that. Well, well, first of all, I think you've nailed Harville Hendricks's theory perfectly. In fact, I was so enamored by his theory, it, it inspired me to take it to a further step. And, and I'm fortunate enough to say that Harville Hendricks um, um, not only um, 
endorse my book, but I actually did a, um, a project with him in New York, and I got a chance to meet with him and work with him. And, mm. and what um, what Harville Hendricks says, it says in his, his uh, breakthrough book, Getting the Love That You Want, I believe that's what it's called, mm-hmm. highly recommended, is that um, we there's a part of us that keeps working on that broken relationship, um, that trauma, that hurt that we endured as a child, and that keeps that keeps, and we bring that into our adult relationships, and and that will continue. We will continue to replicate that relationship. You know, the person who doesn't feel loving or lovable, and trying to find the person that will, which ultimately is a codependent being in a relationship with a narcissist. And and that gets solved through psychotherapy and the resolution of that trauma. So yes, I, um, I think the imago perspective is a very useful one. Mm. Yeah, and it's so nice that you were able to pretty pretty big honor that you were able to work with him and um, and take it to that level. That's that's great. Yeah. Congratulations! Oh, well, you tell me that. about it. Yeah. Even with Melody <laughs> Beatty, I was able to get her um, to endorse my book and ultimately become friends with her. And talk mm. about being lucky and being fortunate because to, to have two people who are giants in the field to validate that I'm onto something mm-hmm. um, could not be more meaningful. So I'm very lucky that. Uh, yeah. That, um, That's great. Well, you're up to good stuff, <laughs> it sounds well, like. And um, yeah, Melody Beattie was, for people who don't know, she is pretty much the name of codependency. She's, she's the face of codependency. And. Um, she wrote Codependent No More, right? That was her first book. That 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 I and believe. about nine nine or ten other books that have sold about mm. eight or nine million copies. Oh my God, that's a lot of copies. Yeah, I, I'll never forget the time that um, I, uh, I emailed her with hopes to talk her into endorsing my book, and I got a response and I almost had a heart attack. But ah. one of the things that one of the things that I enjoy um, talking to Melody about is 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 how the definition of codependency has been evolving. And mm-hmm. and what I've done in my book is I've recreated the definition of codependency. In the human magnet syndrome, I try to look at it scientifically because there are so many books written by therapists and non-therapists that speak to it in such a general, if not vague manner. So it, um, I wanted to simplify codependency and the definition of codependency and the definition of pathological narcissism. Because if I'm going to explain mm-hmm. about the human magnet syndrome and why codependents always seem to fall in love with narcissists and vice versa, I wanted to be able to explain exactly why they are magnetically drawn to each other. Mm-hmm. And so in doing so, I was able to simplify the definition to give people um, an understanding what exactly is that problem of theirs that keeps them keeps compelling them to fall in love with the wrong person. All right. So if you can explain your definition of codependency, your simplified, and then your pathological narcissism definition, and then we can Oh, sure. Actually, I was going to do that. Yeah, I was going to do that, but I didn't. Um, Okay. So a codependent is a person who habitually, um, almost reflexively, and historically falls in love with people who give more love, respect, and care. Uh, and they give more love, respect, and care to others while not receiving the same in return. In other words, they they find themselves feeling comfortable and then later stuck with a person that does not re- reciprocate um, in all that they give to them. 
the narcissist, in the most simplistic way, is a person who, in relationships, needs all of the love, respect, and care, um, but they don't reciprocate. What makes a person codependent is not that they are always giving to others and not getting in return. It's the fact that they stay in these relationships. You can decide to give more than you take, but also have good self-esteem and, and, fi- and find other relationships and where you get balance. But the codependents cannot get themselves unstuck from that role, which is always uh, more on the giving side than the taking side. Hmm. And what I've done with the, in my book, The Human Magnet Syndrome, is I used, I used the, uh, the analogy of a dance, in which to describe how the human magnet syndrome works. Why do codependents and narcissists always find each other and stay with each other? So if we think of a dancing couple, someone's got to be the leader and someone's got to be the follower. And if, if the follower and the leader are really good at the respective roles, the dance partnership works perfectly. The codependent is the giver or the follower uh, and, and analogously, and the narcissist is the, the needer or the narcissist, and they fit perfectly because who's going to fall in love with and stay with the narcissist? Someone who has low self-esteem, who is used to not wanting to be cared for, not wanting to give um, as much as... Um, uh, not not wanting to receive as much as they give. But, uh, conversely, the narcissist is going to feel strong and empowered when they're with someone who will take their narcissistic treatment of them and will see it as strong, bold, and charismatic. So this dancing couple are perfectly aligned, and, and paradoxically, they feel comfortable. And that's why they fall so deeply in love in the beginning, because it's familiar and it feels safe. Well, so... I hear what you're saying, and what happens often in narcissistic relationships is that people flip. Um, so, in other words, you start out with a narcissist who's charming, who's giving. Mm-hmm. He's very giving. He's uh, like I, I I know many people um, who have fallen in love with narcissists who charmed the pants off of them. They took them to spas and made them feel like a queen, and you know, mm-hmm. over the top. There was some signs that, like, this feels a little too much, but it mm-hmm. felt good to be taken care of. And then mm-hmm. as soon as they got married, they started with that, like, psychopathic kind of behaviors of uh, right. punishing and um, cruelty. And um, so so how, do pe- how can people recognize these signs early on? Because sometimes they are elusive. They're, it's not so black and white as people might think. Well, well, first of all, I challenge most people um, that when they, they, they describe what you call as a flip, I don't think the flip actually happens. I think that the, the codependent misses red flags, and it's mm-hmm. their codependency that misinterprets um, signs of narcissism and kind of turns them into signs of, of affection and love. You know, for example, the narcissist uh, need to talk about himself and take um, is someone who's bold and charismatic and takes charge, um, who knows what they want and who's sexual. And, and and so in the beginning, these narcissistic qualities, because of the fog of love, as we all mm-hmm. experience, healthy or not, it, they're, they're misinterpreted because of this, 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 because of feeling so much in love. 
So, mm-hmm. so to an outsider, the narcissist narcissism always seems a lot more apparent, and it doesn't surprise them. So the flip that you see and I see is more of the point where um, the codependent um, and the narcissist are, are um, rooted in a relationship, and the narcissist can feel safer to be more overtly um, selfish and self-centered. But it doesn't start uh, from nothing to something. That would be more of a relationship with a codependent and um, someone who's antisocial or a sociopath. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. where all of a sudden you say, you know, what the heck? Uh, But but really, it's more about the blindness that happens during the dance. You know, when people meet for this dance, all they know is it feels right and perfect because they've danced this dance their whole life, starting with their childhood. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but yes, that happened to me and it happens to all uh, codependents. One day you, you realize, you know, you say, oh my gosh, you know, I'm stuck in this person, you know, hurts me, but yet I love him. And Mm -hmm. that's the hardest part of the relationship is what to do and how do you either get out of the relationship or you manage those feelings and those, those problems. So say you, you stay um, in a Mm -hmm. relationship and, and you, you recognize, that it's feeling really horrible to be in the relationship, but you want to try and work it out. Um, what, what would you advise somebody to do? Well, what I explained in my book is there's different levels of narcissism and there's different levels of caretaking. And, and I created the continuum of self uh, theory. And, and the reason that's important to talk about before I answer your question is that, that the, per, the people who I consider pathological narcissists, they have personality disorders. Um, and so if someone has a personality disorder, say they have a narcissistic personality disorder, a borderline, or, a, or um, an antisocial personality disorder, is by definition they don't have insight into their problems. They don't have insight into how they hurt someone. Therefore, there's no, there's no possibility that they're going to take ownership of how they're treating someone badly and then um, and either make amends for it or, or change. So if you happen to find yourself in a relationship with someone who's a pathological narcissist, the probability is pretty high that you also are a codependent, and that accounts for the, the dancing uh, dancing analogy. So if, if that's the case, I recommend going to therapy because that means you, you have engaged yourself in yet another relationship in which you are powerless by virtue of the power that you gave up and, and the power and control that someone has over you. And you're going to need not so much learn what to do about the relationship, but what, but to learn what about you is so hurt, perhaps uh, compromised psychologically, that has allowed you to fall prey to this narcissist. And so what I do is I work with the people and their, the, that are their, their deeper psychological issues and their self-esteem because I find that goes a lot further than telling them what to do. Because I can say all day to a codependent, well, you should do this, you should do that, and you should do that. But even if they follow, they're going to be, they're going to fall, they're going to fall into the same pattern because it's not what they're doing is a problem. It's their self-esteem and their fear of being alone that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So fear of being alone comes from where? What I've come to understand, and, and I'm writing about this in my second book, is that loneliness is the pathological condition that fuels codependency. 
and every codependent will tell you, and, and I certainly will tell you that before I was in therapy, that in between relationships, I suffered from a deep feeling of loneliness, and I just couldn't be happy with myself and in the world that I lived unless I was in a relationship. And that goes way deep, way deep into the origins of, of my personality. So I say loneliness is the condition that compels codependents either to fall in a relationship with a narcissist or keeps them in a relationship. Because if the, if the condition of loneliness is so painful, they would rather choose a relationship that is filled with strife and hardship than to be alone, because loneliness is too painful. If you are a healthy person, which means you're ahead of your problems, normal, you don't suffer from that deep pathological loneliness, and so, so it's, you're alone, and being alone doesn't hurt so bad. So loneliness mm -hmm. is a key concept that I work with, and, and it's a secondary concept, because underneath loneliness is the trauma that uh, was created with the person when they were a child, where they learned that they could not feel safe in a world unless they were with someone that was in charge of them. And that goes back to their mm -hmm. very young, formative years. Mm -hmm. And so many people experience so much trauma in childhood, which mm -hmm. is really sad. Um, so I, I was talking to a client today who, um, she's, she's dating a man who is a widower, and he seems to be jumping from relationship to relationship since his wife died. And so mm -hmm. she was bringing up his loneliness today. And we were, and I was thinking about codependency and asking her some questions around how do you know if he's a codependent or if he's just likes being in relationships. Um, and so you know, she she's kind of feeling him out. She gets a sense of his neediness. And um, I don't think this relationship's going to go anywhere from from everything she shared with me, but it, but it mm -hmm. did bring up an interesting um, conversation around the difference between someone who just really wants to share their life with somebody and prefers to be in relationship, mm -hmm. um, or somebody who really can't be alone. Um, like, how do you? Wh what signs should people look for in terms of you know when they're dating? Well, well. Um the, and, and I always say this, and I don't mean to be elusive, but, but, um, and I won't answer your question, but we can talk all day about the signs to look for. But as I learned, it's not really about what to look for. It's about making sure that your house is in order. And mm -hmm. so what are the signs to look for in yourself? Do you feel like someone is dismissing you? Do you feel anxious or disrespected? Do you feel that someone needs more attention than you do, do you find that your, um, your feelings aren't validated? Is someone being kind of manipulative or intimidating in order to get their needs? Because, and the reason I say it that way is that, that emotional manipulation has many different manifestations. It can be the typical aggressive type, or it can be the passive-aggressive type, or the sneaky type. And mm -hmm. if you feel that and you're not codependent, then you know reflexively because um, um, that this is not good for you and you don't move forward in a relationship. But see, that's the dilemma of the codependent because they can feel that, but for some strange reason, it feels familiar and they feel like they, they need that person and they fall, they fall in love with that person. So the problem really isn't the person per se. You can, you can figure out the red flags all day, like I did. 
But until mm-hmm. you realize it, it's about your compulsion to be with the same person that mistreats you, you're going to fall for that part person all the time. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, I told you it would, is, is to look for <laughs> someone who talks more than they listen, who tends to um, take charge of events when um, you don't always want them, that kind of dismisses your needs, your, your thoughts, your beliefs, who um, gets mad uh, when you disagree with them. Perhaps the number one symptom of pathological narcissism is the narcissistic injury, is if you correct someone, you disagree with someone, or you choose something different than they want, they will take it personally and get very angry at you. And, and that narcissistic injury is far different from the normal person who um, gets mad because you've upset them. The narcissist takes it personally, and it then becomes a one-way problem. You need to change um, so they're not angry at you anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very familiar to me. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, and it's it's so interesting. And what I found also is um, a lot of people who came to me for coaching and left relationships like this, they were in friendships like this too. And I think that's something that people miss, that you attract the same types of relationships into your life. Often in many places, it's not just a romantic relationship. Can you speak Absolutely. to that? Yeah, in um, um, in the the training, what I do, um, my process in writing books is I come up with a training, and and from the training, I develop the ideas that turn into a book. For example, my the book that I'm writing now, which um, I changed the title. Um, you, you have the old title, but it's now called the mm-hmm. Codependency Cure. Um, um, I actually talk about um, the four stages of codependency recovery, and 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 um, and I have to be really honest with you. Can you repeat your question? I, <laughs> I, I, I lost myself in something else. A little bit of ADD coming out here. Just okay. to get me back on track. Um, it just, uh, I wanted you to speak to the, um, the fact that this doesn't just show up in romantic relationships. So often okay. there are patterns. Um, so I want to know if you find that to be true in your, in your case studies. Got it, got it. So, in, 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 uh, and so I came up, uh, came up with the concept of the four stages of codependency recovery, which I have for free on my YouTube channel. It's a webinar, and it's called The Four Stages of Codependency Recovery, and it explains it in detail. But um, I, I explain before um, I, give people, um, I give people what I call as a Surgeon General warning, and I warn them that if you're going to move forward in codependency recovery, I promise you the following. Everyone is going to be upset at you. Most everyone you're in a relationship will be anywhere from your husband, your wife, your children, your neighbor, your boss, your cousins, your sister, your brother, because everyone is used to you taking care of them before you. And I warn them that this is going to be the the very most difficult part of recovery is getting past the first stage where you are upsetting everyone by setting boundaries for the first time. To answer your question, is codependence, um, 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 their codependency is, is, um, is more powerfully manifested in romantic relationships, but almost always manifested in different degrees in all other relationships. So someone who is a codependent spouse, they're, they're going to be 
they're probably going to be a work, if they have a work partnership, they're probably going to be more codependent in the work partnership. If they're a boss, they're going to probably be more codependent um, with um, their, their boss and with their employees. They're going to be the one that's always taking care of other people. Um, and the, the sad thing is everyone knows them for being the salt of the earth and the most wonderful, lovable person. And people not only um, have shaped that into something good, but when you change, everyone gets mad. And that's mm-hmm. the hardest part because all the relationships will shift. And, yes, codependency transcends just emotional, excuse me, uh, romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. That was my yeah, long-winded well, answer. That's a good answer. <laughs> Um, and I and I I totally hear you on that, and I I've seen this happen um, even in my own life when I got divorced and I moved out on my own and had much more control over how I was raising my children, for example, because we disagreed so vehemently about child rearing, mm-hmm. and they were upset with me. I I was imposing some new rules. I was acting differently. I was now working full-time for myself and not placing them first. And they didn't know how to deal with it. And so it it took time until I could assert who I became. um, And they learned to really respect who I was and respect me much more than ever before. But it it took time because I was was changing, changing the rules on them. And, and and that and that is why uh, my 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 theory or my ideas on the four stages of codependency recovery are important because it warns people ahead of time that it's going to be bad in the beginning, it's going to be better, and then finally it's going to be great. And my first stage is setting boundaries in a hostile environment, and I think that lasts anywhere from um, up to three months. The second stage is maintaining boundaries in a hostile environment, and that's when you're pretty much um, the, the people that don't love you and are narcissistic, they tend to go away. And the third stage is building new relationships, and that's when it becomes less difficult and tra- um, traumatic. And the fourth stage is enjoying loving, reciprocal, mutual relationships. But the, but the paradigm or the structure of that theory gives people um, an idea that there's going to be go, um, a light at the end of that tunnel. And it does take time and it'll be worth every minute of the hardships, but there's no way around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's clear, um, the way you outlined it. And I've helped many of my clients do the same thing, learning to set new boundaries, learning to be clear um, in, in the, how they express themselves. Um, and, and a constant reminder that they're not responsible for other people's processing of their emotions. I think with... With women in particular, they are afraid to say things, and I think men do this too. We're afraid to say things to each other because we're afraid we're going to hurt each other's feelings. And the truth is that if you don't say things, you hurt each other's feelings. Um, you have to say them in the night, and you know, in the best way possible, in the most connected way possible. But but if you're not saying things that are important in a relationship, somebody's going to get hurt in the end. And, and and that really is, is, is a, I'm glad you said that because that really is one of the more difficult phases in codependency recovery is learning how to say what you believe and how you feel and enduring and being okay with someone being angry at you. For example, mm-hmm. I have a client today who is so afraid of telling her husband, I mean, they're divorced and they're, they're, they're living with each other and she's so afraid 
of telling her husband to leave me alone because she's not, she never learned that to do so it would be safe. So it is mm-hmm. a it is actually a wonderful experience, an important experience, I should say, not wonderful, that codependents um, learn that they can say no to people, and people will get sometimes mad or disappointed, but everything's going to be okay. Because their whole mm-hmm. life, when they set boundaries, it wasn't okay, and they were punished. And that's part of the human experience is, you know, you can't take care of everyone else, but you've got to take care of yourself. Right. You definitely have to start with yourself. Absolutely. Um, yeah, very true. And, um, yeah, communication skills, especially when feelings are hurt, that is something that I've been so passionate about. It's something I've studied for the last 10, 15 years um, because most of us have, have such poor skills when it comes to really expressing how we feel. We don't even know what a feeling is. We don't even know how to identify it. Um, you know, and when I would ask a client, how do you feel? And they'd say, I feel that he did this to me. You know, I feel that he mm-hmm. was he was wrong. I feel that, you know, that's not a feeling. That's, you know, that's an observation. That's That's something else. But it's not a feeling. It's like just to get deeper into how you feel, how it impacts you, is so foreign for most of us. So um, I'd like to talk more about feelings in a moment. I just want to take another mm-hmm. quick break to, uh, to sh- okay. give another shout-out to our sponsor. We are very happy to be sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. Are your books on, uh, is your book on Audible? And, 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 and I share your, an advertisement. Audible has been awesome. Uh, um, what I'm finding <laughs> out is there is a huge um, um, market for audio books. I had no idea so many people would buy my book on audio. And mm. what that has shown me is, and I have a contract with Audible, to be fair, but, um, but mm-hmm. we did not discuss this before the show. But, but no. what, that's shown, what that has shown me is that people process information differently. But more than that, if you're codependent, that means you don't have time for anything. You, and, mm. and so you are, you are trying to do everything for yourself in between taking care of other people. And audiobooks are great because you can listen to them um, when you're working out. Um, if, you're, if, you're, if, it, if your hands are on the steering wheel, you can listen to them in your car. Mm-hmm. And, and it just, it's just a great way of taking care of yourself because codependents take care of everyone else and don't even have time to read. So that's, that's my, yeah. sh- <laughs> shout, my shout out to, to the audiobook world. Well, thank you for that. And I had a feeling your book was on Audible. It, it is uh, interesting. I never thought of it in terms of codependency and being too busy to, to take care of yourself and take a book out and read it. But that's a, it's a good point. And I, I personally, I love listening to books, especially in the car um, or when I'm working out, because I'd much rather do that than, than listen to music. That's just me. I like podcasts. I like... Mm-hmm. I like Me to too. learn as I go. Yeah. So um, if you sign up at our show URL, which is audibletrial.com forward slash last first date, you'll get that free audiobook and a one month trial of the service. So aside from the human magnet syndrome, which you should check out on Audible, um, you can also check out um, some of the other bestsellers. I personally love this book, All the Light We Cannot See. Did you read that book? No, I have not. I have not. Do you recommend it? Oh. I totally recommend it. Um, I recommended it for our book club. It's it's a very metaphorical novel that's historical fiction about World War II and what happened in France 
um, not to the Jewish people, but to um, to many of the Parisians who were displaced, and just the 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 stories of the character. The characters are so well developed. Um, it's about two children, and their lives end up converging at some point. Um, one who grew up and ended up in the Nazi party, and one who was a blind girl whose father was arrested by the Nazis, and um, just it's beautiful. Um, so I highly recommend that by Anthony Doerr. Um, Fifty Shades of Grey, which is uh, I think it just came out as a movie, and that's uh, <laughs> as much as it's not it's not great fiction. Um, it's um, it is a book series that made conversations around sex very normalized and I think that it was a good thing that that happened in in the world of sex and relationships so um, I haven't seen the movie yet but I, I, I'm curious um, also the book Wild which uh, was recently made into a movie by Cheryl Strayed it was starring Reese Witherspoon she, she did a movie, great I job expect. yeah you saw good. it I did and enjoyed it tremendously yeah I hear the book is better so that's actually our next book club book um that I recommended. Um because it's it's just it's much more deep. I think the the movie was missing a little bit of depth um in terms of her process because she really went through a major process of recovery. Um and then there's a really interesting book by Amy Poehler. It's called Yes Please. I discovered it last week and she it's what's great about this book is you really need to hear it. It's she meets um, all these people for dinner, and it's Carol Burnett, Seth Meyers, um, her mother, her grandmother, <laughs> Kathleen Turner, Patrick Stewart. I mean, it's like all these people um, who she's basically having a dinner party with all of them. Mm-hmm. So it just sounded really funny um, and fun to listen to. And then a book that I recommend a lot to my clients is The Five Love Languages by Carrie Chapman, oh, yeah. and that's uh, yeah. that's available on Audible as well. There's a few different versions of that. It's really important to know how you express love and how you receive love to um, understand your partner better and yourself better. Um, so if you would like to try Audible for your free month and free audiobook, all you have to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash last first date, and I want to thank you for your support of our radio sponsor, Audible, and for giving yourself the gift of spoken audio entertainment. And now back to Ross Rosenberg. We're talking about how to stop loving the people who hurt us. So we were talking about communication skills before I took a break here. And um, so if somebody, like, can you share a simple tip for speaking up when feelings are hurt? Well, um, the tip is um, to be in a relationship with someone that can actually um, acknowledge and process the information you give them. Be- again, because I can speak all day on how to say it and what to say, but if you're in a relationship with a, a pathological narcissist or someone who is more on the severe narcissistic side, is it doesn't really matter how you say it. You're going to upset the person. But mm-hmm. the, to the question, how do you communicate yourself to how to communicate your thoughts and feelings um, effectively in a relationship is um, is um, is to say it in a way that teaches something, some, the person to whom you're talking to or love, something about you and what you need that that person's not giving you and show them how, how much you appreciate and how 
how good that makes you feel when they give that to you, whether they're listening or they follow your um, advice or they correct themselves. And, and any way that you can communicate that in which the person feels good while hearing the constructive feedback, that is probably the best way that someone's going to um, hear um, um, your constructive feedback or criticism. Um, okay, so can you give an example of that? Because I think I think people may oh, sure. not know exactly what you're talking about. Okay, so so okay, so my wife, for example, who I know is working mm-hmm. and not listening to the radio show, um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, um, she likes things very very neat um, and orderly, and uh, um, and. I'm not like that so much. And um, so when she tells me, you know, um, you know, you got to put things away, you got to close the cabinet, you know, and, it, you know, you know it's, I feel disrespected and it's getting me angry. Well, I'm feeling like she's picking on me. Um, but if she says, you know, when you keep the cabinet open, and or you don't put away things or leave things on the counter, and I'll stop at that. But um, mm-hmm. it really upsets me because, you know, I get anxious um, when I see clutter or dirt, and I'd really appreciate if you could um, pick, put things back because that would make me feel less anxious. Well, now I'm, like, thinking, well, I don't want my wife to be anxious. You know, and I love her, and she's just giving me direction on what to do. Um, to, to make her feel bad, better, and, and you know, do I really care if I, if, you know, if I have to pick things up? So, so the goal is to to explain to someone what you don't like in a way of um, what you don't like, why it upsets you, and then give them um, a heartfelt suggestion on what to do better for you. So I, I call this the I statement plus. You tell people, I, um, the you tell them the situation, you tell them the feeling of it, you know, the situation and why, you know, when you keep, when you tell me what to do all the time, it makes me feel angry because when I was younger, everyone told me what to do. And then you follow up that I statement with the suggestion with, but uh, with a positive emotion, but I would feel happier or more loved if you did it this way. So what you're doing is you're not only telling people what they did in a way that doesn't, that gives them an explanation, but now you're providing them with a solution um, that is supportive rather than uh, critical. I love that. That was perfect. So the first example of you have to put things away, I feel disrespected and it's making me angry. It's like you're doing something to her and she's accusing you, blaming you, and criticizing Mm -hmm. you. Right. Um, and, And then the second example, she is, talking about herself and she's mm-hmm. saying how she feels and she's mm-hmm. also using the magic word appreciate mm-hmm. um, that is such a magical word that we don't use enough and so when you tell someone how you can make how they can make you happy when you're with the right person not the wrong person because they don't care mm-hmm. but when you tell mm-hmm. the right person how they can make you happy They'll do anything to make you happy. Like you just said, I want to make my wife happy. I tell this to women all the time. Let a man know how he can make you happy. Um, he can't read your mind. And I grew up in a home where mind reading was expected. You know, it was like, you know, why didn't you do this? But you didn't tell me. Right. But you were supposed to know. Well, if you loved but, me, you would have done it. 
Now, I don't have a comment about your family, but but that is a narcissistic. <laughs> that's a narcissistic interaction. Is mm-hmm. that you, people are expected for you to know how they feel, then they get mad at you when you don't do that. And yeah. and that's the setup that so many codependents experience as an adulthood that can be traced back to their childhood. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm yeah, speaking more lot. about. We had a lot of that. What was that? <laughs> and and, and and the good thing about we we therapists or we coaches or we mental health practitioners is the reason we're as good as we are is we come from the dysfunction and we solve it and now we have something to teach people. Exactly. Or we are something. Well, yeah. As as somebody who I know um, who is a public speaking professional um, teaching people how to speak, and she said, make your mess your message, and a lot of people have said that, but that's that's really where we shine. And um and I, I agree. I think that if you can make your mess your message, if you have used it and not blamed your childhood for everything, because in, in every dysfunctional family, there's usually somebody who's still stuck in that place of, you know, I am this way because of my parents, and so I'll always be this way. And, um, yeah, you don't have to be this way. Um, and, you know, so so it's it's possible to really pull out of even the most difficult situations and and actually those are the people that I collect in my life the people who have been through trauma and are in recovery and um those are the most interesting people to me if they've done the work and um actually the the man that I'm dating now one of the things that I liked about him right away is that he he was a person who was in who had transformed his life. And even though he was still struggling with things, I saw that he puts the work in, that he takes responsibility, that he can hear criticism and not take it personally and, and is open and not defensive. And, and those were all qualities that were huge. And if we're lucky and we do the work, the human magnet syndrome says, that the human magnet syndrome is not just about why codependence and narcissists are attracted to each other. It talks about why people are attracted to each other. And healthier people still are attracted to each other because of an opposite um, connection. And so what that tells me is that you and your boyfriend are very well connected, and you both share the value of of, uh, mutuality and reciprocity and caring. So one of you can be more on the caretaking side, and one can be more on the self side. But that is normal because... Everyone is different. Um, there's no rule. The only the only part that's pathological is when there's not mutuality and reciprocity, and and because neither has a personality disorder, there's no um, narcissistic injury, which allows for communication, allows for problem solving, and that mm-hmm. to me is a healthy relationship is one that has arguments that doesn't hurt you or destroy you, but makes you better. Arguments are arguments. Mm-hmm. They're part of the human condition. Sorry. I wish I could say there's a way to never argue again, but I don't think there is. No, and, and you know, it's it's interesting that you say that because when I first started dating, I would meet men who told me that they never argued a day in their life, of, you know, in, in their marriage. Um, men who were widowers who would say, you know, we had the perfect marriage. Um, and I'd say, did you actually talk to your wife? <laughs> Like, how could you, I mean, did you have honest communication? Because obviously if you never had an argument, there's a lot you weren't saying. And I don't trust that. And I I recently had Linda Carroll on the show, and um, she came on and spoke to my inner circle. Um, Do you know Linda? She wrote a book called Love Cycles. 
Um, she's a she's a therapist who does counseling for couples, and um, one of the things she said in terms of looking for red flags before you get involved with somebody is somebody who says, I had the perfect family, or somebody who says, my family is so dysfunctional and they're blaming their family. So either either end of the spectrum is a red flag. If they're still stuck in blame or if they have have idealized their family to the point of perfection. And a lot of people don't look at that perfection problem. Well, and to me, that's just a red flag that they still have some stuff worked out about their childhood. Because when people um, are unreasonable, hurtful, and not aware of it and can't connect to their behavior as being harmful to other people, and they don't really mean it, it means that they're kind of stuck in this reflexive, self-centered, or sometimes codependent um, um, way of dealing with life that, that comes from what we learned early on. And the longer that I've been, I've been in the field, and I've been in the field about 28 years now, and I think it was two years um, since I wrote <laughs> the introduction that you read. <laughs> that said, oh, okay. Um, but but uh, um, as I realized that our, our deepest and most profound psychological problems are manifestations of bad learning um, early on when we learned um, important lessons on, on life and relationships. And I find myself going backwards in time and that the problem that people bring to my office are symptoms of deeper issues. And I do a lot of what we call psychodynamic work or family of origin work, and, and I solve the problem on the level um, in which it was created. And, and I find that to be successful because otherwise, I, ca- I mean, I personally, I call it Band-Aid therapy, uh, where someone stays very surface-oriented um, and, um, and, and tries to teach people new habits without figuring out why is that habit so prevalent and why does it keep coming up when it's always so harmful and dysfunctional. And, mm-hmm. um, but, um, and, I, and I will be explaining that in my, in my second book, um, which hopefully will be written in a year and a half. That's great. Well, I can't wait to see that book come out. Um, and 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 often, I just want to also speak to the fact that, um, well, the work that you're doing is so important. I, I have one question about your work in terms of referring clients to you because um, many of them need to do the deeper work. And um, mm-hmm. do you work remotely? Do you work by, by Skype or... Um, or only in person. Okay, I guess I guess you're forcing me to say this on pub- in public, and I will. This is good. <laughs> this is good therapy for me. I, uh, in order for me to take better care of myself, I am not taking on any new clients, um, okay. either local um, and um, or remote. I've been getting hundreds of requests because of the success of my YouTube channel. I think I, mm-hmm. I'm up to 1.2 million views. Um, yeah. I get home, I get probably between 10 and 15 therapy requests a week from all over the world, and I've had a waiting list, and and I am doing what's good for me now is to focus on the clients that I have and on my work that I have to do. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and, I, and if people need recommendations, I often give them recommendations. But thank you for offering mm-hmm. for me to plug uh, my services. But, but I do believe my book, The Human Magnet Syndrome, and my seminar, uh, Reversing the Human Magnet Syndrome, which is the basis for the second book, um, is... Um, um, very, very helpful and, and a very important, important first and second step in changing these deeply um, held dysfunctional patterns. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, good. Good for you for taking care of yourself and recognizing what you need or you'll burn out and you won't be good for anybody in your life. 
And as, as my uh, real estate agent told me um, six months ago in buying a house, happy wife equals happy life. So yep. I, got, I got to spend quality time with my wife and, and have something left over. And I'll go back a step further and say happy Ross equals happy, happier wife equals happier life. But it doesn't um, rhyme. <laughs> no, sorry. I'll have to, I'll have to work on that. <laughs> Oh, thank happy you. That was me, happy we, happy, yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, I'll work on a rhyme for you. Okay, good. <laughs> so um, just one last thought about how people are often attracted to people. Um, your wounds attract um, each other. Like we mm-hmm. we bond on wounds, um, and I believe that we, we – um, so we often identify with each other's wounds, but as we mature and, and grow more healthy psychologically, I'm imagining that that happens less and less. So can you just speak no, quickly uh, to that? Oh, absolutely. Um, my wife and I, uh, Carol, who I love dearly, are perfect examples of that. We came together because of the human maggot syndrome, and not uh, neither was a pathological narcissist nor a codependent, but we, we have our baggage, and um, it's the pursuit of, resolving your baggage together with, with limited fights is the hallmark of the healthy relationship. So, um, and this is more important with people who are uh, married, marrying later in life or having a second marriage or a third marriage. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the investment in solving problems and getting to um, the, that part um, of love that brought you together. That's the magic in a relationship. And so the wounds might bring you together, which is part of what I described in the human magnet syndrome, but mental health um, helps you solve it together and, and resolve those wounds. Because sometimes the best therapy is being in a relationship where you guys, where people can communicate and love each other, and that is so much more valuable than therapy. But unfortunately, therapy often is needed to get you there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a nice explanation of of the how we come together, and especially at this age, because so many, I mean, my clients are over 40 and carrying some baggage, some big, some small, and some don't know how to store it at all, and <laughs> some are better at, at having more compact carry-on. So um, I, we're just nearing the end of the show. I just want to I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was highly informative, and um, I look forward to sharing it with with my my audience. And I will send you a link to it. Um, any parting words that you'd like to share? Yes, um, um, in the words of George Eliot, it's never late to be. It's never too late to be the person you should have been. And I live by those words because we all were born perfect. And even if we didn't have the best parents or the most ideal uh, childhood, we can overcome those wounds and learn to be the person that deserves love and deserves friendship and deserves connection and respect. And it's never too late. And so don't ever give up on yourself. Beautiful. So agree with you. Um, And quick, just uh, your website is? uh, The website uh, is humanmagnetsyndrome.com. There's also a forum for people who want support to support each other who are struggling with codependency, and that's also on on the website, humanmagnetsyndrome.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Ross Rosenberg, for coming on the show, and best of luck as you continue this great work that you're doing. And thank you so much for having me. It was indeed a pleasure. My pleasure. 
And thank you all for listening in to Last First Date Radio today. And I wish you the best of luck in your relationships and hope that you all go on your last first date very soon. Have a great day.